Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff, part of Oregon College Game Day with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brood Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. Week 10 in the college football season, double digits already. Welcome into Countdown to Kickoff, taking you all the way up to 430 kickoff between the Ducks and UCLA. I'm Judah Newby. Across from me is the college football Hall of Famer, Neil Lomax. Continuing crosstalk with the Oregon College Football Post Game Show, the University of Oregon Athletic Hall of Famer, Jordan Kent, and more importantly, a new father. Congrats again. For hey, the second thank time you. That, that. That's the title that matters the most right there, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> Brian Perkins, the host of the Oregon College Football Show, joining us as well for uh, Crosstalk as we continue. Talking past tree in the, uh, or the route tree concepts during the break. That was fascinating stuff. Now, if just to continue with that, Oregon, you know, if UCLA is going to continue the same defensive concepts that Arizona was trying to employ, that Washington State was trying to employ, that were pretty effective against the Oregon offense, chances are, We'll see some press man from the UCLA secondary at least at some point in the game today. And we were just talking off the air a second ago, Neil and Jordan. But could you speak again as to the best way to beat that press man coverage for Justin Herbert and company? Yeah, well, you know, Jerry Arno, who's been that Oregon with Chip, and he's been a defensive coordinator for years. And he's followed Chip around with the Eagles, 49ers, right? If I'm not mistaken. That's right. Uh, so he he's going to do what everybody else has done effectively. That's what you do. You don't make things up. You don't create new ideas. You just steal or borrow from what works. And he's going to look at the last two or three weeks of film uh, of other offenses, what they've done, and other defenses. That's what the, that's what they do. And he's going to say, hey, if Arizona did it this way, it was effective with their athletes. Why can't we do the same? And that's what they'll do. They'll adjust it that way. And and if it is more of man. And concepts of man, when you use more man-to-man defense, that means you use more stunts and you use more blitzes. Because when you play man, you can bring more than five. So that's pressure on the quarterback. And that's what teams will do. Very rarely will you see a lot of teams play man and only bring four. You know, you can have two free safeties up there. They call that cover two man. But most of the time, it's one high and you're pressing underneath because you want to bring five to six guys. Because you, you want that clock to be three 2.63 seconds, that's all you want that quarterback to throw. If you do that, that's a win for the defense. And I agree with you, Neil. That would probably be the ideal way I would defend the Ducks because what we saw against Washington State and Arizona, Oregon doesn't have a lot of quick developing crossing routes and throws. It seems like a lot of the throws that Oregon is going with, especially when we see Herbert to Mitchell, these are longer dropbacks. These aren't just quick three-step dropbacks into slants and quick outs. These are curls. These are dig routes deeper down the field and you got to get that ball out of Herbert's hand quickly if you can and if you can do that where Mitchell gets you is when he can get a little bit further down the field and then either swim by you or use a lot of his shiftiness to get open but I think at the line of scrimmage if you can hold him up a little bit from what we've seen from Washington State putting a lot of pressure on him you can make things difficult so that's going to rely on these other secondary receivers for the Ducks that have struggled to get open against coverage the last couple of weeks and if I'm looking at this Oregon offense okay well the running game's been effective against Washington and Stanford and Dylan Mitchell's been one of the best receivers in the conference I'm going to make those second third and fourth receivers be the ones that have to beat me if I'm playing the Ducks right now Perkins I heard you and Ken talking in your pregame show as well the return of Chip Kelly back to Autzen Stadium we had the game poll question earlier in this week 
are you going to give an ovation for Chip Kelly? Jordan, you had an impassioned take on that in your pregame show. What was kind of the reaction of the listener and, and the fan base to that question? And, and what kind of should that conversation look like here? Yeah, it seems like overwhelmingly ovation or at the very least cheering Chip Kelly seems to be the way to go here uh, from from what we're seeing and hearing from fans. And I, I, I would agree with that. I know, Jordan, you agree with that as well. I mean, the the way that Chip Kelly elevated that program, I mean, is is something that we have never seen in the history of basically any college program in the state of in this state. Um, I think that when you look at what happened following Chip Kelly, they get to the national championship game with Mark Helfrich, but they're not able to sustain that success long term. And the consistency that that Chip brought to this organization when a lot of people were doubting him after his first game as a head coach, when LeGarrette Blunt punches a Boise State player in the face and gets suspended and they lose that game and they almost lose to Purdue. And, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're questioning whether or not he's going to be a head coach. Getting from that point to a national championship team to winning a Fiesta Bowl, uh, I mean, I just don't know how you can't appreciate what he has done and the things that he did. I mean, he changed the landscape of college football, quite frankly. Not only just for Oregon, but the entire country is now replicating the success. And I know he wasn't the originator of the spread or, or that's the style of offense that they ran, but he definitely made it what it is today in terms of popularity uniforms, all of it, I mean, was under the chip Kelly era. So I, I don't know how you don't uh, step back and appreciate that and, and tell that man, we appreciate what you did for us. And Neil and Jordan, you both, when you remember watching those duck teams from 09 to 2012 and how dynamic they were on offense, Neil, as a viewer, and I know, you know, a lot of people close to the Oregon program as well. That had to have been so exciting to watch. Well, especially you start from a Dennis Dixon, and then you go to a Marcus Mariota, the Heisman Trophy winner. Hmm. I mean, he was, what, 33-3 and three with Pac-12? How many Pac-12 wins? 33-3 mm-hmm. I mean, 95% of the f- fans at Autzen are going to applaud him and appreciate him and be very gracious to him. I mean, he's kind of the story. Because let's face it, UCLA, football-wise, they're not very good. I mean, there's not a lot of athletes are coming out and saying, wow, wait till you see this guy play or this guy play. Um they don't have the team uh, or the talent like a lot of the Pac-12 players have you want to talk about. So the sexy thing is talking about Chip Kelly yeah. coming back. and But that was quite a run. And let's give credit to Mike Bellotti. Now, that's what I kind of remember. Mike Bellotti is the one that hired him and then stepped away to take the athletic director job. Yeah, I mean, he brought him over from New Hampshire, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the offense just thrived those for that first year and then, all of a sudden you have that shift in the organizational structure of the football department, and I'm sure that'll make for a good story someday. But you gave Chip Kelly a chance to be a head coach at Oregon, and you saw the success he had over those three years. And he didn't leave on bad terms. This isn't a coach that went to another program because they offered more money or something. He went to the NFL, much Mm -hmm. like any other player would take a chance to go to the NFL. And Mm -hmm. I tell people, okay, you could argue that Chip Kelly had a dynasty going in Eugene. Well, he left school early to go to the NFL. Would you boo Marcus Mariota if he came back to Oregon because he left school early to go to the NFL? No. So I don't think you have any reason or anything to hang your hat on to boo Chip Kelly today. I also think that Chip Kelly's NFL legacy is it's easy to tarnish, but you forget. He won 10 games twice in the NFC East with Philly, and his only playoff loss was a last-minute touchdown drive by Drew Brees. <laughs> 26-24, the Saints beat him in a wild card. You forget about that. The, the guy won double-digit football games in the NFL twice in a row. All right, uh, Jordan, Brian, we'll let you go. You know, Thanks so much for being generous and joining us on Crosstalk. As always, what's your prediction? I've got Oregon 31-17 over UCLA.
Nice. What did you have last week out of curiosity? Uh, you know, I can't remember, but it wasn't. <laughs> Oregon 3117. It, it wasn't 4 And the week 15. before that was Oregon 3117. Yeah, and the week the before duck. that was Oregon 3117. Uh, I'm going to pick Oregon. Oregon 3117. Uh, hey, at it. least I'm a man of my word. I bring coffee for my oh, friends rather than not wow. doing it all. So I'm going to let you guys enjoy your show. Neil, always a pleasure. <laughs> I love it, man. All right. We'll see you guys Congratulations, next week. Daddy. Nick Aliotti will join us coming up. Same with James Crepe of the Oregonian. More countdown to kickoff coming up on the game. Nick Aliotti will join us coming up, and we'll also talk to James Crepia live from Autzen Stadium. Heck, Aliotti's live at Autzen Stadium as well, doing the uh, Pac-12 Network live pregame show from down there. So it'll be nice to talk to Nick, get his thoughts on, you know, Chip Kelly and his return. Neil Omax, Judanubi, welcome back. Countdown to kickoff. It's going to be one heck of a uh, football game today. Uh, it's a ten and a half point spread depending on who's playing quarterback for the Oregon Ducks and for the uh, UCLA Bruins. My gut feeling tells me Justin Herbert will be able to suit up and, and throw in this one. But, you know, Neil, as you take a look at this football game and look at the health of the quarterbacks, we'll dig into it a little bit more later on in the show as well. Can you put yourself back into, you know, either your NFL days or your collegiate days when you were dealing with being banged around the previous week, maybe a, a head injury, mm. how do you come back from that? What are the first few days like when you're trying to get back healthy, get back right, and see things on the field? Yeah, it's it's the timing and rhythm that you used to have. If it was more than a week, um, that was the issue. I, I remember hurting my shoulder, uh, I don't know, my third or fourth year. That was really the first injury that I remember sustaining as I uh, separated my shoulder. It was about three to four weeks before I came back. And that was hard, real hard. But again, back in the 80s and 90s and early, it, you know, you got dinged. You, you got maybe a concussion or you got, but when you felt better and the trainers and doctors said, hey, you, how do you feel? You said you feel fine. You're back in. I, I don't remember. There was no set protocol because, again, technology and the medical research uh, back when we played, not like the dark ages, but that's just the way, way it was technology-wise, that when you had a head injury, you know, just how did you feel? If you weren't dizzy, you weren't blacking out, you weren't throwing up, just how do you feel? And, I, hey, I felt good enough. So I didn't, I didn't really – I don't recall missing any games, any games from sustaining a, quote, ding or a head injury the week before. Because if I, felt, if I felt good, I was playing. Do you feel like you perhaps should have missed some games in retrospect? Looking back, no. Really? Got, no. I, I just remember I, if I felt fine yeah. and I felt good enough to go – I mean, they trusted me, especially after I became the starter. And now I'm, I'm third, fourth, fifth, six-year you know, NFL career guy, not just can he still play. I mean, I'm the starter right. for an NFL team. They want you health. They want you. They're asking, how, how do you feel? And if I wasn't feeling like at least 90%, you know, I wasn't going to go. So, you know, if Justin Herbert does play, that's one thing. But what if Dylan Mitchell does not? How does that affect Justin Herbert in the passing game? How does that affect Oregon's philosophy on offense in general? Well, that's a huge rhetorical question. I mean, come on. He has been the go-to guy. I mean, Dylan Mitchell right now has, what, over 48 receptions. He's by far the number one receiver the Ducks have. Then you got go down to Jalen Red, And, you know, Jacob Brilliant's caught a few more. He's up to 17 receptions. But it is. It's getting back to Kano Dillon and C.J. Verdell. You know, he's running well, using him out of the backfield which most teams do, he's, he's, he's got to catch the ball four or five, six times a game. That's important to have your running back, and he should be carrying it 20, 25 times a game. This will be a balanced game. This will be, they're at home. I, I see this being a close game and a good four-quarter football game. You're going to see a good balanced attack by Oregon and going against what I think is kind of an average defensive team and, quite honestly, a below-average offense that UCLA has.
Yeah, certainly ironic for a Chip Kelly offense to be ranking as low as UCLA does in multiple categories, including scoring and total offense. UCLA has been dismal this year. Elsewhere in the Pac-12, how about Utah? One of two teams in the Pac-12 ranked in the top 25 right now. They are on the road at Arizona State. Early third quarter, Arizona State leads Utah 21-17. to Neil, the Utes have been surging as of late. They got the win in Westwood a couple of Friday nights ago. They're on the ropes here, but they've already sustained a big start to this one by Arizona State. This is a statement game for both teams, but if Utah can get a road win here... Then they got the Oregon Ducks coming to Salt Lake next week. No, that is big for what bowl game down the road that could mean and also the Pac-12 championship game. And, you know, right now to me, the hottest team in the Pac-12 just go the last couple of weeks is Arizona. I mean, they're hot. I mean, the way they played against Oregon and the way they played last night against Colorado, I mean, Khalil Tate is back. Not just with his feet, but the guy has thrown eight touchdown passes. This is Khalil Tate now. Eight touchdown passes the last two weeks. That's as much as UCLA has touchdown passes yeah, all year. Exactly. I think well, I think Khalil Tate only threw for 12 touchdowns last year, but he rushed for like 12. Right. So that's the hot team, and number two is Utah, and but they're struggling right now down in Tempe against the Sun Devils. Yeah, the Fighting Herms uh, 21-17 lead on Utah. A lot of night action in the Pac-12, 6 o'clock on the Pac-12 network. Stanford and Washington, Neil, I had to do a double take seeing Stanford and Washington and not seeing a number next yeah. to either one. This is bizarre. Five and three Cardinal, six and three Huskies. Neither of them ranked. When was the last time that happened? Huskies nine and a half point home favorites on Stanford going into this one. You alluded to it earlier. Jake Browning has not been good this year. Well, and either has Stanford's running game. I mean, we the Bryce Love train has been off track, off and on because of injuries. Uh, you know, his Heisman run last year was. Everybody, wow, what a good story that was. He's going to come back. I don't know how high drafted he would have been. You know, some of the NFL experts were saying he might have a second, third round pick. But you go back for your senior year, you do it again, you could be a first round pick. But I'm looking at him like right now, again, his injuries. He cannot sustain carrying the ball over 20, 25 times a game. And to see Stanford at 3-2 and two in the Pac-12. And, you know, UW is 4-2 and two at home, though. So it should be a win for UW. But... It's been a struggle. It's this Pac-12. They've been beating each other up. They, it's like uh, the old SEC days. Everybody just beats each other up. Don't be playing anybody and just keep playing them there. But um, St- Stanford has been that enigma. You know, it really has been. I mean, they, after that Oregon win, you're like, whoa, okay, maybe they are that good because Oregon should be really good. But it proved to be those teams are just kind of average. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you look back four or five weeks ago. How about uh, the action going down in Corvallis, Oregon State and USC? You know, seven o'clock kick for that. You got USC at four and four, three and three in the Pac-12, and uh, the Beavers just got that big win against Colorado on the road last week. The opening betting line for this was USC by seventeen. It, well, still seventeen, isn't it? I think it's gone down to sixty. But and I a saw, half. I saw. Okay, <laughs> and 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 that was out without JT Daniels and the whole issues with Clay Helton and moving moving my good friend at the old seven on seven in the openings, my friend T Martin back in the day. We were we were we were like co offensive coordinators twelve, fourteen years ago with these high school it was really fun. He's been moving around and you know he's there and I don't know, that that's just the politics and that that's that's the the drama. Okay. It's LA. So you gotta have a soap opera going on and that's just where they are. But they they should they should win that football game. But here's what's scary I'll tell you what, if Jake Luton is healthy, he can put that Nevada half together with the Colorado half, and you play that game, that dude, he'll break Sean Mannion's records. Yeah. And Derek Anderson, who's Derek Anderson and Sean Mannion if you got a guy like Jake Luton throwing the ball 50 times? 
in completing 38, 39 of those. We'll keep going around the Pac-12 in a moment, but first let's go live to uh, Autzen Stadium and talk to a good friend of ours, Nick Aliotti, the former defensive coordinator with the Oregon Ducks under Chip Kelly, Mike Bellotti, all those guys. Coach, it's uh, good to have you join us on Countdown to kick off Judah Newby, Neil Lomax. How's the atmosphere down in Autzen treating you? You know, it's it's a lot of fun, good electricity in the air. It's uh, I'm really enjoying this today. I haven't done one of these on site in quite a while, and you can feel the energy as we're getting closer to the game with the Bruins today. Is everybody treating you with respect? So far, it's been really good. I have no complaints. <laughs> how about this uh, narrative? Chip Kelly coming back to Eugene. Just how special – is uh, is this as a game? I mean, maybe it's more for the fans than for anybody else, but when you think about your time coaching under Chip, you know, just to think, you know, a few years later, he would have made a cycle through two NFL teams and now be coaching another Pac-12 team and be coaching in Autzen Stadium as a member of the opposition. Is that even surreal to you? Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, you think uh, his last season here was 2012, and here we are just six years later, and not only has he left the Ducks, where he did a fabulous job, he, uh, you know, been in the NFL, and now he's back in college in the same conference at UCLA, coming uh, home, or so to speak, here to Autzen against Oregon, a team that he had such great success with. So, uh, you know, I think that the fans, when this game was put on the uh, schedule way back when, that thought that this might be one of those big games where both teams were we're fighting for a championship based on what Chip had done in the past in college football. But it's not that, but it's still going to be a good football game. should be a lot of energy. Hey, Nick, uh, Neil Lomax here. I know you're doing well. It's homecoming for all you guys. I'm mean, not just Chip. You got Jerry Azanaro's back. I mean, Don Pelham. These are your boys. These are, these are the, this is the group you guys had. This was the staff that, uh, you know, from 2007, 2008, 2009. It, guys had it rolling. It's got to be fun. Absolutely. You know, Neil, I, I, uh, the fact that we, I was here doing this today, uh, at the game, I had to go by and I did go by the hotel last night to see Don Pelham and Az and Chip, uh, just, you know, spent about 20 minutes to 25 minutes because I knew they were in meetings getting ready and I didn't want to be a distraction, even though they said stay. So it was really a lot of fun to go by and see them. And, uh, I think they're excited to play here. Uh, in Austin because it's been a while, well, not for DP, but it's been a while since Chip and uh, Az have felt the energy here. So they're excited about the game. Yeah, Nick, and when you think about the kind of the unsavory way that a lot of those long-time, long-tenure Duck coaches left with the end of the Mark Helfrich era, I mean, it was disappointing on so many levels, even though the results on the field weren't, you know, they weren't doing the Ducks any favors. But what do you make of, of the way that that era kind of ended? It, it kind of left a bad taste in your mouth, did it not? Yes, I'm always a guy that speaks, hopefully, the truth and say what I think is right. I don't think that, uh, you know, they had the, 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 the bad ending to the Alamo Bowl and then the 4-8 and eight season following that year after having such great success here for, for many years. Uh, personally, I'm not in in the in the position where I get to hire and fire, but personally, after a four and eight season, I think what those guys had done for such a long time, they deserved another year to see if they could right the ship 
particularly with the fact that they were going to have Herbert coming back, who everybody knew was going to be a very good football player. So it was sad to see that end for those guys the way it did because they had so many, so many great years here and did so many good things for the University of Oregon. Hey, Nick, you know, I'm the offensive guy, and I'm looking at the numbers, and I, I know Chip is going to say it's my first year, and, you know, 80% of these guys, 90% of the guys weren't aren't my guys. They were they were recruited, scholarship. But, man, I'll tell you, he's got to be frustrated along with Dana Bible. With, I mean, they've been outscored by almost 100 points, 260 to 170. They're only averaging 21 points a game. And here's the one that kind of surprised me. They're only passing – they're less than 200 yards a game in passing, and you're in the Pac-12. That, that's got to be frustrating numbers for for Chip and uh, the offensive coaches. Yeah, you know, it's it's it's. I think we thought we all thought with Chip's return to UCLA that offensively they'd be a lot more dynamic. I just don't think, and I, I and you know, Neil, you're a football guy. They just don't have the Johnnies and Joes right now. Mm. You know, I know that they'll have the X's and O's. And in years to come, we're going to see great offense out of Chip Kelly. But right now, they just don't have the Johnny and Joes that they need down the road. But I'll tell you what, uh, I expect good things out of Chip. Uh, You know, hopefully not today, selfishly being a duck. But uh, down the road, we're going to see some dynamic offenses out of Chip. They need to get a quarterback. They need to get some big play guys, which they don't really have right now. Well, Nick, I know uh, you're keeping a keen eye on what's going on with Arizona State and Utah and uh, ASU with that 21-17 to lead on the Utes. You know, what do you make of the fact that there are only two ranked teams out of the Pac-12 in the top 25 right now, Washington State and Utah? Well, you know, we have a lot of good teams in this league. I know the Pac-12 Networks gets upset when I talk like this. We have a lot of good teams in this league. We don't have a lot of great teams in this league. Right. And uh, that what I mean by that is there's a lot of parity in this league. And as you noticed last week, last Saturday was upset Saturday in this conference. I mean, unbelievable. I think every team that won, uh, with the exception of Utah beating UCLA on Friday night, every other team that won was the underdog. I think you would have picked it the other way. So there's a lot of parity in this league, a lot of good, good football teams. you got to bring your A game every weekend. As we're saying, seeing right now, we know we're midway through the third quarter with the Arizona State-Utah game. Utah, they, they uh, control their own destiny. And here's one right now that they're struggling with. And if they lose this one, then that South race becomes very close, just like the North race is. So, uh very interesting to see only two teams in the top 25. Yeah, and if, you, if Utah loses this one, Nick, they're out. I mean, they're 15th right now. They lose this game. They're out of the top 25. we got one, maybe one Pac-12 team standing. And, hey, going to Chip and, and Dana Bible, and I've known Dana, as, as you do, Nick, for a lot of years. He's been around a lot of good programs. Tell, tell the fan, is Dorian Thompson-Robinson the future? I mean, he's a freshman. Is he the guy? Because the Pac-12... You talked about that. Not they don't have great teams; they just have good teams. The Pac-12 is not is not used to having just good quarterbacks, but great quarterbacks. Is this kid going to be the future that Chip Kelly wants to put the legacy on, or is he going out and recruiting two or three more guys to back up this this DTR guy? You know, I, I know that they like him. I haven't seen enough of him, Neil, yet. 
Uh, I know he's a true freshman, so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I haven't seen greatness out of him yet. I think he throws the ball. Put it this way, he has a good arm. I'm not sure he can read coverages and understand the defenses and all that kind of stuff that you know a great quarterback has to know and has to do down the road. But he can run, which is a staple for, you know, Chip's offenses. Mm -hmm. He does have a live arm. It's just going to take more, you know, more setups and sundowns before he gets to that next level. I, like I said, not enough sample size for me. I think we'll wait and see midway through next year if, if, if I can give you that answer. But right now, I don't see a great one. I see a good one. Yeah, that's interesting because in both LA schools, Nick, you got true freshmen. I mean, here's a kid, JT Daniels, going to have an interesting. Uh, he's going to. It's not going to be an easy game for them in Corvallis. And the way the Beavers came back and won that game at Colorado, uh, despite the, the point spread, uh, Oregon State's playing pretty well. I, I see that can be a competitive game with a young freshman at the helm of, of USC. You know, I couldn't agree with you. Who would think that you, <laughs> you know, it, it really blows my mind. You know, every once in a while you get a phenom that comes in and starts as a freshman. But who would think, Neil, at UCLA and USC – that you're going to yeah. have a true freshman start at quarterback. You know, you got to have somebody in that program that, that you know, with three or four years prior to this guy coming in that's in your program that should be ready to take over and be your starter. So that's really interesting. And to piggyback on that, I couldn't agree with you more. That game in Corvallis, Oregon State doesn't have the players to match up with USC. But I don't know if USC always has their mind right when they play and play it up in Corvallis, kind of, you know, colder, tougher place to play. The crowd will be rocking. SC better – and a freshman quarterback, SC – I'm talking about freshman for SC. Mm-hmm. They better be ready because this could be another upset because Oregon State has shown that they can move the ball and score some points. All right, Coach, I know you're busy down there. We'll let you go on this. But how do you see Oregon-UCLA shaping out? You know, I just think that Oregon has way too much. I mean, they haven't looked very good the last two weeks, let's let's face it. If Oregon does what they need to do and runs the ball like they have been running with a little bit of physicality with Herbert, I just think overall Oregon has more talent than, it, than UCLA does. They're playing at home. They're a different team when they play at home. Oregon should win by at least double digits. But you got to expect a good call. Yeah, got to expect the best out of Chip. Probably a lot of tricks. Chip's got up his sleeve, I bet, in this game. We'll see. Yeah, thanks, guys. All you right. know what? It got loud here, and I didn't really hear what you said. <laughs> we, we just said you're an awesome comment. You're you're yeah, so you're good the on the radio and TV, Nick. You're the best. No That's what better. we said. No you're the best. <laughs> Neil, I need to hire you as an agent. Thank you. you guys have a great day. There he is, Nick Aliotti. So good talking with Nick. And, uh, you know, he hearing you guys talk back and forth with that common language that you share, both being football well, guys. Well, I think, I think we're both looking at the same lens, too. It mm-hmm. is interesting that I look at college football landscape of it, and it's amazing that an 18-year-old kid can play right away or, or maybe <laughs> should he play right away. And you're in the L.A. market. I mean, the L.A. market at USC and UCLA. And both schools, both teams, have true fresh. Well, let alone JT Daniels could still be playing at modern day. Modern day. Yep. So that is incredible, and he saw the same thing I did, that you just don't see that very often. Thanks to Nick Aliotti. He's Neil Lomax. I'm Judah Newby. More countdown to kickoff coming up. Matthew Zimmer is going to get you caught up on all the scores right now on the game.
Well, Chip Kelly is coming back to town, Dog fans. How are you going to receive him? It should be warm. Should be with a standing ovation, in my humble opinion. He's Neil Lomax. I'm Judah Newby. This is Countdown to Kickoff for Week 10. Double digits here in the college football season. And uh, Chip and UCLA coming back to town. UCLA started 0-4 this season for the first time since 1971. And they put a couple of wins back-to-back, -back, including a one-pointer over Arizona, that same Arizona team that would go on to win two in a row, including last night over Colorado and the week prior, beating down the Oregon Ducks. All right, we uh, already talked to Nick Aliotti. We'll talk to James Crepe of the Oregonian coming up at the top of next hour. We might have a surprise guest along the way as well. A local kid who played QB at UCLA might be calling in. We'll see. Working on him. I love this. I'm working on him here. Yeah, Come on be. now, Cade. I'm not gonna, <laughs> if he's listening, I like, just talked to Cade McNown about two hours ago. He's at the game. Folks who don't remember him, great high school standout from Westland High School. Good local boy and all-around athlete and goes down to UCLA and lights it up. Um, is it New Heisel? I'm trying to think who, hmm. who was this. You're, you're awesome about this. I know he came out in 99 with the Bears was his uh, draft pick. He's a first-round pick with the Chicago Bears. But he's in town going to the game. We'll see if we can get Kane on, if he can get away from all his – you know, autograph seekers, all his oh, yeah. buddies down there, yeah. Bruinville. Signing it left-handed. Yeah, whatever. Bob Toledo. <laughs> it was Bob Toledo. Yeah. Okay. Oh, guess who was defensive coordinator? It wasn't Don Pelham. I know that. It was Nick Aliotti. Was it Nick Aliotti? <laughs> UCLA. Shoot, we should have brought that up. Freaking McNown. Nice. Man, that was some good times. <laughs> hey, how about this game in Corvallis? I know you mentioned it earlier, but you got the freshman JT Daniels with USC. They're big, big favorites. And from a USC perspective, a lot of turmoil, not the season that they were hoping for, a lot of growing pains. You had Daniels sit out last week in the three-point loss to Arizona State, the only home loss in Clay Elton's tenure with USC. He takes the play-calling duties away from T. Martin, sends a little bit of strife there. He fired his offensive line coach, who was a good friend of his. I mean, USC has struggled to be a physical running team that we associated with that program for all the Pete Carroll days and even before that. So how does how is USC stepping into this game as a big favorite in Corvallis, Neil, a place where they've been upset before? Yeah, and everybody expects them to win by more than 17. I, I don't see that. Uh, I see a lot closer football game, especially if uh, Artavis Pierce is healthy and, and, and uh, Jamar Jefferson is healthy enough to carry the load. They can do that and run the football and contain. And if Jake Luton plays at quarterback, and yeah, everybody says, everybody experts, even Nick talked about it, that the talent that USC has – it's incredible. Well, but have they performed? You know, there's one thing in having talent. Everybody has talent. Can you get that chemistry? And that's what a coach does. So the pressure's on Clay Helton right now. You know, they, there's some pressure from the top. So the administration, athletic director, you don't fire your, quote, best friend without pressure from the top because it's going to be your, your head is next, so you better do something. You usually see that in the NFL, that the pressure comes from the owner, pressure comes from the general manager, to the head coach in the NFL, you better do something or you're going to be gone. Oh, okay, I'll fire the D.C. or fire my my buddy, you know, and that's the way it is in the NFL, not for long. But in college, you don't see it that often. I'll tell you what, if, if USC doesn't win this football game, you'll be more than T. Martin being moved. Uh, you'd think so. You know, it's so funny, and you may be able to speak to this with a little more insight than I can, but with USC, you mentioned the top-down leadership. The president, Max Nikias, is in a whole world of hurt right now. So many lawsuits with some ugly situations happening to the school in general. And then if you just think, you know, hypothetically how that might affect a football program with the athletic director, Lynn Swan, you, 
Why is Lynn Swan there? Why does you see USC always go to these former players? Yeah, to, Pat Hayden. Yeah, and what? What? Is, Garrett. I mean, they're so, they're about so much money, right? Yeah. Is that what those guys are for? Just handshaking, moving and shaking, trying to get dollar bills pumped into that system, but it's not resulting in success on the field. It's Hollywood, though. It's Hollywood. It's L.A. It's a coliseum. Yeah, that's true. You just look on the sidelines and see the Hall of Famers and all these all stars and all late all. I mean, amazing Hall of Fame. Not just the Pac-12 or the Pac-10, but from, man, from Anthony Davis days, Marcus Allen. I mean, you just look on that sideline to see there's four or five number one draft picks all up and down the sidelines, let alone my buddy Will Ferrell. Shout Got to throw out. him in. Yeah. Shout out to Will. He, he looks like me and I look like him. But he <laughs> makes a little more money than I do. But that that it's it's a politics, and they expect it to be this. That's what's amazing to me that they can only – JT Daniels beat out the three or four other guys they had. That – Tells me a little something there. I mean, those guys aren't that good. And you bring in this freshman who hasn't been outstanding. He's been pretty average. Uh, so, good game. It's yeah, going to be interesting. Be We're going to keep our eye on that one. We will. All right, we have to go hit a break. We went over with uh, Coach Aliotti a little bit. We'll go ahead. We'll come back. We'll update you on the other scores. And we'll take another close look at the quarterbacks in this Oregon-UCLA game. You know, what does Oregon's defense have to prepare for? Is it going to be Wilton Spate? Is it going to be DTR? All of, obviously, those are about as polar opposite quarterbacks as you can get. We'll talk about that on the other side. Neil Lomax, Chuda Newby on uh, Countdown to Kickoff, 102.9-750 the game. Dang. Right after the final whistle for Ducks UCLA, tune right back here. 102.9-750 the game. Chuda Newby, Neil Lomax, and we'll have you the Oregon College Football Postgame Show. And you can call in at 503-417-7575 with your immediate reaction to that one. Ten and a half point spread. Still pending an official status of Dylan Mitchell slash Justin Herbert, even though, you know, you can pretty much bank on Justin Herbert finding his way onto that football field today. But I'm not sure. Wilton Spader, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who's going to start for UCLA. Uh, but first, before we keep going with that one, uh, an update on Arizona State and Utah. We were just watching during the break. Arizona State's Manny Wilkins got a pass complete to Nikhil Harry. He went the distance, was tackled at the goal line. It was ruled a touchdown of 61 yards. It just got reviewed. I thought it was going to get overturned. He was down at the half-yard line. But, Neil, of course, I was wrong. You saw it clearly. And the touchdown stands. They're an extra point away from going up 28-20 on Utah. Oh, but it's a whole quarter to go. So this could be a great game to, to watch as we do our show. And there's going to be a lot of great games following them. I can't wait. For Alabama, LSU. Oh, I mean, man. folks, and, and there's that one. And then how, how about Portland State and Idaho State? Shout you got to throw that in there. I mean, Portland State now 3-2 and two in the big sky. Idaho State comes to town at 4-1. and one. So a big game for Barney and the boys. They're playing over Hillsborough Stadium. So, folks, after you're done listening to us, you're bored of watching things on TV, get in your car, head over the Hillsborough Hop area. Cornelius Pass Road, go to McMinnum's there for a nice cold adult beverage, walk on over to the park, watch Portland State Vikings knock off Idaho State tonight. Go Vikes. Go Vikes. They've won three in a row. And uh, Bruce Barnum was in these studios, I think, uh, a couple of days ago. We'll have a cut from him coming up in our Coach Speak segment later on in the show when we reset top audio from coaches around the conference and get Neil's take on all that. That's always fun. You guys all speak the same language. You guys all – Well, not, not really. Don't, don't say do. that. Don't yeah. really. A lot of BSing going on. I'm well, telling you, a I lot mean. of B- – Oh, so, okay. <laughs> I, I don't have I a dog in a fight now. I take now, it back. I take it back. Yeah, because I not have to get fired or hired by an athletic director. <laughs> I really have no desire – 
to coach in college football. And here's why, folks. You are recruiting. Right. You're on the road 24-7. I tell you, that's. I'm glad these guys get paid whatever they want to get paid because, man, their lives, they are on the road. It is brutal at all levels of college football. You're trying to find those guys. You're competing up and down for, you know, different athletes here and there. Are they eligible? The great point average and your SAT score and this and that. And it's difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, try to win that kid over and sit in those kids' living room and, you know, swam to come to port. It, it's a difficult job. You got to really, really love not just the sport, but love the fact that you have a chance to transform and change. Because these kids are still kids. They're 18, 19, 20. But uh, they're not high school, but it is a difficult job. So I give credit to all these college coaches out there. Thumbs up for what you're doing. God bless you. Yeah, Borland State 4-4, four 3-2 and four, three and two in the big sky for fifth in the conference right now. But three straight wins over Montana on the road. Yeah. The ridiculous 50-plus yard field goal at the buzzer to win. They beat Northern Colorado on homecoming 35-14. They beat Sac State on the road 41-14. Now back home, back in Hillsboro Stadium for a 7:05 kick uh, coming up tonight against Idaho State. And then we mentioned this before, but they finish with their last two conference games at North Dakota. On and then the road. and then Eastern Washington. And then here come Ugh. the Eagles. Ouch. November 16th. But you never know. I mean, Payam Sadat got that uh, yeah. defense turned around allegedly. So we'll see uh, how Portland State does in that one. All right. Other scores around the uh, top 25. Georgia, six, beating Kentucky, ranked number nine, 31 to 17. Six minutes to go in the fourth quarter there. Tell you what, Neil, there was a lot of buzz around uh, Lexington this week. Could college game day come to Lexington? It's a top 10 team of SEC teams. Uh, it just sucks that it comes on the same weekend as Bama LSU because let's be real. They're going to Baton Rouge for that one. But still, to see Kentucky in the top 10, we don't talk much about them out here, but you got Terry Wilson Jr. as their quarterback, the former Oregon Duck, who right. transferred out of the program, went to a Garden Community co- Garden City Community College, that JUCO for a year, and now is playing QB for Big Blue. To see them in the top 10, I mean, I'm a relatively young college football fan, I guess, being 26 years old. I couldn't tell you the last time Kentucky <laughs> was a top 10 team. Could you? Not when Rich Brooks was there either, because I know Rich Brooks was there for a while. Shout They've out. gone through a yeah, Shout out to Rich. Speaking of Oregon Ducks. Uh, in Lexington, talking about football. I know. In the top 10. That's weird. I mean, why? the only reason they're in the SEC because the basketball program. I don't know if Kyle Parry's walking the sidelines or either. He might have a couple tight ends that can play for basketball with him. But, no, this is incredible that they have done as well as they have played. And, I, and again, that's, that's, that's what's great about college football. You know, the Vanderbilts can sneak up on you. There's some really good stories out there. The Northwesterns, Purdue, who knocked off Ohio State a couple of weeks. You just don't know. And that's what's kind of cool about the landscape of this sport. These guys do it for passion. They do it for the drive, the pride. And that's why coaching is really important. I mean, Nick Alioli talked about a little bit. is like USC teams. He says they, they lose focus. Their mind's not right. Mm-hmm. they got always got better athletes. That's on the head coach. That's on the head coach. Right. How do you really frame that locker room? How do you put your footprint on when you get these guys ready? Can you get to the kid's mind and his heart? Because physically, they're really good. But these are three-dimensional athletes. So how do you get to the kid's mind? How do you get that kid's heart so he'll play for the program? And again, as we always say, are you playing for the name, the front of the jersey, or that name on the back? And a lot of these USC guys, 
they can't wait to play the name in the back because they want to go pro. Well, yeah, I'll go ahead and juxtapose that with what the guy down in Tuscaloosa has been doing for a decade, Nick Saban. He might not ex- explicitly be using the three-dimensional coaching formula and tactic, but his all about the capital P process. And what he's been able to instill in that program over the last decade has been nothing short of exceptional. He returns his top-ranked Crimson Tide to Baton Rouge to take on Ed Ocheron's number three-ranked LSU Tigers. And the only game LSU has lost this year was on the road in the swamp to Florida in an ale-biter. Bama is still favored by 14.5, Neil. And I think a large part of it is because we just haven't seen a quarterback like Tua Tungo-Vailoa in college football since Marcus Mariota, let's be honest. Yeah, how he came out of the shadows with the... You know, last year in that national championship game. Amazing. Uh, you know, Jalen Hurts wasn't bad. He was not a bad quarter. He led them all the way and him to take a back seat and still stayed at the school. And we haven't seen that. That's the loyalty issue with how Nick Saban gets these guys. And But they're in Death Valley. So to a T, it's going to be a lot of noise and a lot of excitement. And this is going to be a, a pressure game. But, God, they got some good – I mean, just watch their body of work. Yeah. It's hard to bet against them. It's hard to look and go, Alabama's going to – but this is what – it's about, and I'm I'm hoping for an upset, man. But quite honestly, I'm tired of hearing about Alabama's going to go all the way. Alabama's has no one to play. Alabama's going to win another national championship. Come on, LSU. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a two-touchdown spread. I think a lot of it is because LSU's star middle linebacker, Devin White, was called for a targeting last week. He has to miss the first, first half, half of this game. Correct. That's going to be a tough blow to recover from. Alabama has been such a dynamic first-half team. It's been incredible. Jerry Judy, the ex on the outside, and Tua, that relationship they have. And this is fascinating to me, and this might be a topic for another time, but Nick Saban has been such a run-oriented offensive coach. It took, you know, he had to do a lot of growing just to hire Lane Kiffin, just to bring Sark on board yeah. for one game, right, to to kind of create the passing element. And as much as he hates the fact that college football is becoming a, you know, passing league, well, it hasn't becoming, it already is a passing league in a lot of ways, you know, he's embraced that, and he has found himself a star passer, and we're looking at what Alabama can do as a passing offense. They're all by default. They'll be physical up front. They'll be able to run between the tackles. But when they have a dynamic thrower, uh, game over, man. This team's winning it all. They're going to do it again. Uh, and I'm going to pick LSU's going to beat them tonight. Let's put let's put <laughs> Dude, an adult beverage on it. I'm just going to say right now, LSU's going to beat them tonight because what you just said. Okay, all that. All right. That's all. Oh, it sounds great. <laughs> it's frosting. It is. It's it's and it's great tasting frosting, by the way. You're it welcome. really is. Yeah, yeah. It's sugar. It's a sugar high, but it's coming down the nine in Death Valley. Lomax is calling it. All right, we'll go away. We'll come back, take a look at other Pac-12 scores. We'll also get into the top matchups in this game, and we'll also reflect on the top games that Chip Kelly coached at University of Oregon. Can't forget how much fun 09 to 012 was. More countdown to kickoff coming up on 1029 750 the game. What was your favorite memory of Chip Kelly at the University of Oregon from 2007 to 2012 and all, including his offensive coordinator years, the two under Mike Bellotti, and then the 09 to 012 head coaching years? Boy, you know, I was uh, I was just coming up uh, with as a college football fan, you know, watching everything under the sun, watching this guy run offense. Talking about it every week with my buddies, not really knowing what we were talking about other than this is dazzling stuff, man. This this no huddle. And we were talking back then about how much they love to run the football instead of pass the football, which is something that always seems to be brought up secondarily with Chip Kelly's offenses. They're running offenses, right, Neil Lomax? Yeah, you spread them to run. I mean, he was always those offenses and those teams. You mentioned the uh, when it started really with like Dennis Dixon. 
and moved on to Marcus Mariota, and they've had some great players around him. Just fit the chemistry of that style. And it, that, that blend and that, that rhythm and getting the right athletes, the student athletes to buy in, the right coaches, it's a special time. They also throw in, if folks remember, all of a sudden back in those days, it was like, okay, Oregon's got like 18 different uniforms going on. I mean, the combination here for a wardrobe malfunction was way higher than anything else. What's <laughs> what's going to happen with that jersey? Can you even read the names? What colors? Is it duck wings? I mean, that whole thing was flashed, but but they were good. They were good. They yeah. were averaging 44.5 points a game. But Oregon now, despite the last two weeks, they're still averaging 40 points a game. So it's still there. It's still these players are attracted to going to Oregon, just like you mentioned about Nick Saban, Alabama. There's certain players that want to go to that. They want to win national championships. They want to be part of that, the fun and gun. And it was. And numbers don't lie, even though the numbers have come down a little bit. You know, Justin Herbert's still throwing for 260 yards per game. He is. Uh, he's using his feet not as much. I know he got dinged up, but still, he's rushed the ball 51 times for 246 yards. And you talked about the rushing. Those Chip Kelly offenses back in those days were always a top 10 team in the nation in rushing. Right. They'd led the Pac-12 twice in rushing in those four or five years. So you're right. You spread them out and you're throwing, but, man, you're gashing them because all of a sudden now there's only four or five guys in the box. You got a three-two defense, a four-one defense, folks. All of a sudden, you can check out and run the ball and get those seven, eight yards a carry, and that's what's really hurting Oregon right now. Not just be getting getting behind in these games, but not rushing the football well enough. There was Chip Kelly, the offensive strategist. There was also Chip Kelly, the philosophical mind. Remember, win the day, and that philosophy. Do you remember watering the bamboo? And that philosophy, this is, I still abide by this, you know, personally as much as I can. But when Chip Kelly would talk about watering the bamboo. Nah, watering the bamboo. If you water bamboo in the first year, nothing happens. If you water it in the second year, nothing happens. If you water it in the third year, nothing happens. If you water it in the fourth year, it grows 90 feet in six weeks. So that, that kind of analogy to our players is that, you know, you, you have to just keep driving and keep paying, and it'll pay off in the long run, and that's what those guys understand. So it's good that they listen. It's all about watering the bamboo. So does that mean you have to wait to your senior year before you're going to be successful? <laughs> that's what I kind of take out of that, too. No, I, I get the analogy. I love, oh, yeah. I love that. But still, it's un- unfortunate today's landscape. There's not a lot of college coaches could be like Chip Kelly, and I can wait three or four years. Right. I, I can well, wait three like or four Philly years. Philly and San Francisco in the NFL. Well, the NFL, totally different. You, you can't water no bamboo in the NFL. Okay? <laughs> that, that, that That's a plant, a tree, a root. That ain't happening in the NFL. Okay? That analogy is out the window. I mean, win the day is pretty good because you better win on Sundays. You don't. You know, you're going to still keep your money, though, but you're out. Right. You're out of a job. And go find your friend, be an offensive coordinator someplace else because that's what kind of happens in the NFL. But in college, if you can wait four years, God bless you, man. That's a tough one. No watering the bamboo for Neil. Uh, Chip was also asked on conference call if he'll be able to reflect on the odds and sidelines. Hey, Chip, just curious if during walkthrough or, or pregame warm-ups, do you anticipate taking a minute to look around and, and reflect on what you accomplished in that stadium Saturday? No, we better focus on the team across the other sideline and we'll go get beat. So, um you know, it, it'll be an unbelievable experience. That, that it's a special stadium and special fan base, and um, but we better have our focus and concentration on the 2018 Ducks, not worried about what went on between 2009 and 2012. 
Yeah, you said the right thing, Neil. But the PC, come on. PC. He, it started when they when they touched down on Eugene Airport last night. It, it did. He, he, the memories are great memories. You're human. You cannot, and you want to have those good memories. You want to translate those memories to your players. Hey, good things happen for me and my staff here. They can happen to you guys. It can happen to us. It's about us now. It's about UCLA. We're in a different locker room, but still the same arena. He's going to walk around. He's going to look at where the logos used to go and where his little slogans used to go and what happened there. And he's got great memories. I mean, he talked about just when Dennis Dixon did not play in that final game and the, and the emotions of that senior day. There's a great interview that, that Chip Kelly gave earlier this week about that stood out to him as one of the highlights one of the highlights, he'll, he'll go through that, Steve, and think about all the players that he coached, all the, the special moments. You can't help but think about that. And it, that's a good thing. That's not a negative thing. So I get, oh, no, we got to focus up. We're not going to lose it. No. Use that energy to transform it to your players. This is a great place. I've had great experiences here. Let's go out and win this thing. Do you remember the uh, Soap With You Girl music video, I Love My Ducks? Wait, it, wait. Did that make it the way around? Maybe not around I, you. Maybe I remember, your... like, I could not give you the, the, the lyrics of it right now, though. And maybe I shouldn't give you the lyrics <laughs> can, of it. Can you wrap it for us real quick? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- that video went viral, especially, you know, I was coming up through high school, early college at that point, and that had a huge hit on our demographic. I, I kid you not, it had a huge effect on people going to University of Oregon, and Chip was part of that video and uh, with the guys that produced that. Tyson Alger of The Athletic had a great, great oral history of that video, and Chip talked about it. I think it just resonated with the fan base. Those guys are funny. Um, they're they're lighthearted. They, they've got a great sense of humor. Um, I enjoyed just hanging out with them and listening to their process and um, glad I got a chance to meet him and be a part of that. It was a special time. During those two years, we've heard we heard it a lot. We heard it a lot, and rightly so, because during those during those during that time, we did love our ducks. They did indeed, and uh, boy, you think of all the big games from '09 to '12, and you also think about all the high-profile games, which means the losses hurt a lot more too. And uh, you know, I think about the Rose Bowl loss to Terrell Pryor, the BCS national title loss to Cam Newton, the Rose Bowl win over Russell Wilson. 45-38, my personal favorite image of Chip Kelly was him jumping up into the air with fists up in a 45-38 game. Jared Arbideris fumbling on the sideline and Michael Clay recovering for the Ducks. On that sideline, that picture of Chip Kelly, that's the image I'm always going to hold dear, Neil. I know you're separate from the program. You're not a Duck fan by any stretch of the imagination. But what is one image, what one memory of Chip in an Oregon uniform? Well, don't, you no, don't say that. Now, I'm a Duck fan. I'm a Beaver fan. I'm an Oregon sports fan. Okay, I'm going to get in my political little correctness box <laughs> and state that right away. Walking no, really, right wherever I one. wherever I went in any stadium when they announced, you know, there, what what a thrill. I mean, Judy got. Folks, it was the biggest thrill of my life running through the tunnel at, at all these NFL stadiums and getting announced. Now playing quarterback, 6'3", 220 pounds from Portland State. I mean, come on. Wow. How many players in the NFL can hear, not Alabama, not UCLA, not USC, not Notre Dame, not Michigan, Portland State? And I took great respect and honor out of that. Also, I, when I heard someone else from, from Oregon or Oregon State or from Linfield, or from local Peel, anywhere in the Northwest. I took pride in that. I went over and actually shook hands, shook hands with those guys from the from the schools in the Northwest. We're proud of being from the Northwest. So I'm an Oregon fan, and you know, and again, I, I think Chip, what he's done, those this just the style that that to me, it's 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 the visor. It's the visor. Some coaches don't want to wear hats, like Nick Saban. 
you're not messing with his hair, right? You, that, I mean, that's three or four spray cans before the game. That is that thing's tight. That hairdo. Other guys got the hat, got the floppy hat, the the baseball cap. Now it's the visor. And Chip Kelly to me in the visor, and also the zip up rain kind of shirt when it was still like 80 degrees out. It kind of a little quarter zip up, little yeah, you know the all conditioning gear from Nike, a little dry fit thing on the side, yeah. underneath dry fit, but over top was like the little Gore Tex. That's right. Whoa, whoa. That, that never rains in Otson. What's he wearing <laughs> that thing for? So I'm more. I, I, my memory is what he was wearing. He, he's a great car- cartoon character, isn't he? He is. Chip Kelly's a great cartoon character. Loved his style, and I would have loved to play for him. All right, well, man, that, that would have been a blast man, to play for that guy. You and that system, game over. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. Dude, if Darren Thomas can be like a college football Hall of Famer in that offense, it would have been scary to see what you could have done in that. But uh, you know what? You know, I don't even want to see that. You you had like 90 uh, records. Yeah, don't even go there. I think I think he done. would have limited me. Yeah. I had to hand the ball off a lot more. What the heck's that? offense. No, he's keep, no, I'll keep, keep that mouse. football, man. Keep I'm keeping that. No, yeah. no, yeah, don't. For, I said pros. That's right. If he was with Philadelphia, if he went to the pros, it would be a blast to play for a coach well, like that in the pros. Speaking of that, I think one of the great, great unanswered questions is if Chip Kelly took the Tennessee job when they were going to draft Mariota number two instead of taking the San Francisco job. Um, I think that's a that's mm-hmm. a huge. That's a great what if. Huge what if. It is. Because I feel for Mariota, three offensive coordinators in four years and all the different offensive, all the different coaches Man, talk about handicapping a guy with a talent like that. All right, we'll go away. We'll come back, talk a little bit more about the matchups, update you on all the other scores. Go live to Austin Stadium with James Creppy, the Oregonian. More countdown to kickoff. There's a Justin Herbert update. We'll get that for you coming up on the other side on 102.9750 The Game. Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff, part of Oregon College Game Day with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brood Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. Final half hour leading you up to kickoff. Justin Herber is warming up on the sidelines. Neil Lomax, so it looks like I think Justin will probably give it a go after uh, being in concussion protocol earlier this week. So that is good news for Duck fans. But is number 13? Is number 13 warming up on oh, the sidelines? That's There it is. That's Dylan Mitchell, according to Twitter, Neil, which I know you are a Twitter <laughs> maven, Dylan Mitchell is also on the field. He is currently at midfield dancing while the team practices punts. Gosh, I love Twitter. It's, it's immediate. Dylan Mitchell was dancing nine minutes ago during punting practice. You sure it wasn't a, some new dynamic stretching? Yeah, that's very you, true. You see yeah. people think it's dancing? It's advanced. Like, it could be a new up. yoga slash dynamic mm-hmm. stretch now that gets guys who are in concussion protocol mm-hmm. ready to play. Which you would know about the uh, Of yoga, course I do. Right? I'm, I'm totally updated on yoga and yeah. stretching and dynamic and static. Yeah. Well, but more for your golf swing than anything. It's flexibility. Are you playing fall it's golf? It's all about flexibility. Am I playing fall? I play play golf. Yeah. I don't care what season it. But you go, got, the Gore Tex. It was raining. If yeah. I won't go out if it's raining. I got to admit, I can do that every day from November on in Oregon. <laughs> um, that's why I keep my friends very very close to me still in Arizona. I got to call them up, that's Roy right. Green and my buddies down there. You <laughs> Is guys, that right? just give me give me a golf court, give me a tee time in a room. Just give me a clean room and tee time. Well, I'm down there. Got to do it. Love it. Hey, let's go live to Autzen Stadium and talk to our good friend James Creppy of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. James, thanks for joining us as always. Let's just start with the atmosphere a half hour away from kickoff with Chip Kelly back in town. What's the atmosphere like? What, is the crowd buzzing down there yet? A little bit. I'd say it's a 
little bit of a late arriving crowd at the moment, though it's starting to fill in a little bit more. Uh, it's certainly not uh, what Washington was a few weeks back as far as the crowd in the building with about 35 minutes to kick. The game did get moved back about five minutes, guys. So it's, a, it's 10 minutes after, uh, 40 minutes after, excuse me, uh, for, for the star officially. So that could be a little bit of a part of it, uh, a little bit of a later kick, but it's definitely starting to fill in compared to what was maybe 10 or 20 minutes ago. Uh, I am hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is Justin Herbert and Dylan Mitchell, are they on the field? They are both on the field, fully dressed out. Uh, so that's certainly obviously a really positive sign. Not a huge surprise for, uh, for Herbert, as we know. He was at practice on Wednesday. He was fully dressed then. So not a monumental move there. Uh, but the more surprising one is Mitchell, who we didn't see at practice on Tuesday or Wednesday. We saw him, but he wasn't dressed out at all. Didn't take part in anything. That's a big development. Uh, obviously, if Oregon is able to have its top two offensive players in this game, that's huge. Uh, and it's not just a matter that they're out there. I mean, look, there's only so long you can do the cloak and dagger thing. Sooner or later, you're just wasting your own time. Herbert's taking reps with Jake Hansen. You're not going to bother doing that if Herbert's not going to play. I think he's ready to go. Hey, James, Neil Lomax here. So we know about Justin. Uh, so Dylan Mitchell looks like he will play. But during the week, what did you hear from the other – receivers that should step up, a Brennan score, a, a Davis, um, Jalen Red getting more reps, Johnny Johnson, who, who was kind of getting more reps that, as Mario Cristobal said, some of these guys, even Hollins, some of these guys need to step up. No question. I think the, the rep differential really came in for Johnson uh, and Davis and Collins more than any. Uh, Red and, and school are obviously already first team guys in the first place. Who's gonna, who would have gotten the most targets, and who, frankly, who might get the most targets anyway if Mitchell's out there mm-hmm. in any way, uh, is probably Jalen Red. And look, he said after last week's game in Arizona, which is obviously a, a brutal way to, for things to go, he said he was confident and he had to be the playmaker. He, and we know that. I mean, look, we've seen it already. Uh, nobody has to be reminded of the incredible catch he had in the end zone a few weeks ago. And obviously it turned up and had several catches in the fourth quarter in Arizona last week with Mitchell out. So he's certainly capable. Uh, Schooler has been a reliable, uh, you know, option at times. But you're absolutely right. Guys like Johnson will have to step up more, but he's got as many touchdowns. Hard to believe, but Johnny Johnson has as many touchdown catches still in Mitchell. Wow. That is amazing to think about because Mitchell's been so uh, so utilized between the 20s and in the red zone that hard to imagine that he's got the same number of TDs as Johnny Johnson. But, James, you know, what about the run game? And you've wrote about this on OregonLive.com, and you can follow James on Twitter, at James Crepia. Where does this run game go from here after two really dismal weeks and game flow was certainly not in the run game's favor in any point in the last two weeks? What does Oregon have to do to get that part of their offense right today? No question. I mean, what does that do? It has to get back to doing what it was doing. And that sounds simplistic, but, I mean, it's not just a matter of execution and result. It's a matter of commitment to reaching the execution and the result. There was no commitment from the play calling from the offensive coordinator, Marcus Royal, to the run game. None. Zero. Last week. Two weeks ago with Washington State, if you want to tell me about scheme, you want to tell me about stunts and stents and movement and all that, hey, you know what? Washington State's the best team in this conference right now. Anybody can buy that. No matter how bad their statistics were entering that game against the run, there is a challenge there, no question. Even if the talent is not as good, the scheme is a challenge. Last week was inexplicable, and that's why before the game last week, I said, look, guys, it's hard to, it's hard to see Arizona you know, really pulling away in this kind of game. But I wasn't expecting for the offense to completely abandon everything that it had worked for it for the first six weeks of the season. And 
that was what was so inexplicable last week. Arizona is not a good team against the run at all. Really lacks a whole lot of talent to do it. But Oregon abandoned the run game. They passed a lot more in first down, particularly in the first half. Yeah, like I wrote about it in the week. They, Oregon was averaging just over nine, nine and a half passes on first downs per game through the first seven weeks, including Washington State, where they had to obviously do it in the second half. They had eight first down passes in the first half hmm. last week. That was when the game was competitive. That They had 16 by the end of the game. All right, throw out the second half. They had eight in the first half. Now, yeah, Justin Herbert was five of eight, and he had a touchdown pass in those passes. So clearly Arizona was giving him something to look at. But sooner or later, math be damned. I don't care what's in the box. You have to execute your offense. There was no commitment to it. That's what has to change. They have to get back to being committed to being a running team. And, that, and that's a big surprise, James. You're right to me because I understand when you get behind and you're in the third quarter, fourth quarter, you're down by two or three possessions, you're down by 20, 21, which was a shock against Arizona and even Washington State. But you got to throw more. But you're right. When you look at the stats and you point those out, the facts, and we talked about the Chip Kelly teams back in the day, they were leading the nation in rushing. They were leading the Pac-12 because you spread them out to run, and that was going to be their their footprint, their landmark, and they just haven't done it. No question. That's why after last week's game, very quickly uh, in the aftermath of it, I was going, gosh, you know, what was the last time they had back-to-back under 100-yard games, you know, rushing games uh, in Pac-12 play? And you have to go back 15 years. 15 wow. years. And wow. That is inexplicable. And that was a three-game stretch, so if it happens again today, you know exactly what it was. Uh, but, <laughs> but the point is, you have to go back 15 years in Pac-12 play. Arizona, when I look at it, I can't recall the stat immediately. I put it up at the last week's game. The last time Arizona held a Pac-12 opponent who was in Washington State under 100 yards rushing was several years as well. So that was what was so absolutely outrageous about that result. It wasn't just that, oh, well, Arizona played a good game, give credit. Yes, sure. But it's really good and it's really easy to put up those kind of performance when your opponent doesn't even try to do what was working for it before it started to get away from it. And that's what happened with Oregon last year. That's why I said they have to get back to being committed to the run game. It's easier to just point out the fact that they had back-to-back road games, you know, at Wazoo and at Arizona. You know, but how helpful in your mind is it that they're back at Alton Stadium for the first time since the UW win? A bit, a bit. It is. I mean, it, it's got to be. This routine. You know, look, the bottom line is tra- travel still tough, guys. Uh, no matter if you're, you're, you're traveling private like these guys are and whatnot, no matter how cushy the setting may be, it, it's still not your normal routine. So I get that. Uh, and obviously, Oregon fans know well that last season they did not do well on the road, so the road can be challenging. No question. But let's not make Arizona out to be a very tough place to play. It was not a tough environment last week, guys. It wasn't. The environment had nothing to do with it. Nothing. Because being back at home helped as a whole? Yeah, sure. It's certainly. I say this coming after the last two performances, you'd much rather be home than a third straight road game. I'll give you that. That's that's for sure. Uh, because if you had to do this again on the road, in what could be a like, let's put it this way: if Utah, if going to Utah was this week, uh, that would not have been good. Right. <laughs> that would have been that would have been pretty brutal. So you definitely, if, if you had the choice, you'd rather be home here for this week after these two tough performances and get the crowd behind you, and get uh, get back to what you're doing offensively. Yeah, things could definitely go your way in a big way. Yeah, I think going to Salt Lake City next week might be a little easier. Looking at the score right now, James, uh, Arizona State is is leading thirty-eight to twenty with a buck thirty left. And uh, I tell you, the parity right now in the Pac-12. I mean, Nick Alioli talked about it. James said, you know, 
the Pac-12 doesn't really have, have any great teams. There's some good teams. There's, there's no one at, out there that's a, a great team. And, you know, three or four weeks ago, we're kind of saying Oregon might be that great team, but here we are. You got UCLA, Pac-12, two and three, and Oregon is at two and three. No question. Look, there's a whole top to bottom. The league has a lot of – there's not a massive differential in separation at the top yet. And I say yet because I do think that Washington State is on the cusp of going from good to great. I agree with you. I don't know if they're there just yet. Uh, I'm not sure yet. They do have to hold up their end of the bargain here, at least in the regular season. But if they do win the division, there's no way they're not going to be favored in the Pac-12 championship game. I don't care who wins the South. Washington State would be favored against whoever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It could be an all-star team in the South. They still be favored. <laughs> but they do have to hold up their end of the bargain here. If they do that, if they win the division and then therefore win the Pac-12, I do think at that point Washington State is great. Look, they're top ten team. We know they have the potential to slide in and get into the playoff. It's a, it's a distant shot, no question. But I do think they're the, they're the only hope for the Pac-12 of, being, of having a great team, I agree with you. There's a lot of pretty good teams. There may be one or two really good teams, but there's just a lot of average teams in here in this, in this conference right now and a lot of below average teams. Right. Uh, but Utah, I mean, folks, folks were ready to you know, say that they were going to be the team to win. Now, obviously, the quarterback got knocked out of this game. That's a big part of it. But they were trailing before that. Yeah. Uh, for them to get absolutely run off the field by Arizona State is pretty hard to believe. All right. Uh, and it looks like Tyler Huntley has a shoulder injury. Initial reports are that it's a broken collarbone or a collarbone injury mm. of some type. So that could have implications on next week. James, uh, we'll get you out on this. You know, me and you and Neil, we were all on the money. We all had Arizona blowout wins last week <laughs> in our predictions. So let's keep the hot streak going. How do you see Oregon UCLA? Well, I'll, I'll provide a caveat since last week was so embarrassing for not only the Dubs, but for my own prediction of it. Uh, the caveat being that assuming that this offense does call his plays as usual for the first six weeks of the season and actually run the ball on first down when it's competitive, I do think Oregon wins this by two scores. If you want to say that covers the spread, yes, I hate, I hate hedging up against spreads. I hate thinking yeah. like that. So I do think Oregon gets that as long as they get back to their offense. Like if they go out there and start winging the ball around all day again, then forget it. I'm not going to bother even trying to predict it because there's just no way. Uh, but if they do get back to their identity, then yes, I do think Oregon makes it by a couple of touchdowns. We'll follow you on Twitter at James Crepia. James, we'll catch up with you on the post game. Thanks for joining us. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. There he is, James Crepia, the Oregonian and Oregon Live. I love the caveat that he has. And Look, man, trying to pick Pac-12 games, pfft. Blind leading the blind, Neil. Well, it is, but again, it's about matchups and injuries and, and just, God, I, it's, it is amazing. you yeah. got to go back. These aren't 27, 28, 29-year-old pros, 18, 19-year-olds playing a, a big boys game. And uh, I, I like his caveat about run the ball, but then again, if matchups dictate, I, I don't like it. I mean, you might have to wing it around. I mean, I'm sorry, James. I mean, sometimes you got to wing it around. That's your best matchup, and – Throwing the football with a guy like Justin Herbert? It should I'll, work I'll, out. You know, it should. But the disappointing thing has been the guys who are catching it, and it's more complex than that. But I'll tell you what, if they're going to let you throw the ball, my history's been, hey, throw, and, throw the ball and catch the ball. Yeah. It's 
the yards add up. <laughs> they certainly will. They do. Herm got a big win. We'll talk about that and uh, get our final thoughts on this Bruins-Ducks matchup and pick the game coming up in our final segment. Countdown to kickoff with Neil Lomax. I'm Judah Newby, 102.9-750 the game. Final segment. You know, we were just talking in the break, Neil. Um, that argument, that whole concept of if your offense is not executing, do you blame the execution or do you blame the play calling? That argument is going to be around for as long as the game of football is around. Because I hear you talking about it one way, and I hear fans talking about it the other way. I've got my own opinions. I'm, why is Oregon a run-heavy team when you've got Justin Herbert there? And then I hear you saying, well, if you've got the matchup to run the football, you have to run the football. But what if you get in a spot like you were in Arizona last week, and you've got three defensive <laughs> linemen, you choose to run the football, and you get tackled for a one-yard loss anyway. That's on your players for not executing, right? I mean, we're always going to have this argument. You, you will. And that's part of the beauty of, of the game is you can think you had the best play call. Oh, my, it's going to be a great play call. It worked in practice. It was awesome. It, it was executed flawlessly. And you call it at the exact time you want in a game, and you fumble the snap. Or the ball rolls back. Or quarterback drops it. Or the tailback forgot to pick up the willbacker. Oh, oh, that's right. My responsibility was the willbacker if he blitzed. And he blitzed. See, they're human, and that's the strategy of it all. But the coach's number one job is to get your players in the best situation you can so they can be successful. What's the best way they can be successful? That's your job. What situation, what position, what, what assignment can you put them in and execute so they can be really successful? That's all you can do, and then you roll the dice, and guys, you got to execute. 11 guys, remember, 11 guys have to execute to make that play go. Yep. All right, before we uh, pick this Oregon game, let's rip through some of the other scores. Starting in the top 25 with what jumped out to us, and how about the Wolverine defense mm. up in Michigan, Neil? Fifth-ranked Michigan suffocates James Franklin and the 14th-ranked Penn State Nittany Lions. 42-7 to in the big house, and the defense that Don Brown is running in Ann Arbor with Jim Harbaugh overseeing it, this might be a college football playoff year for Michigan if they can win out. Yeah, and Coach Brown might not be there long. I mean, when, when you have defensive coaches dominating the way they do, again, they got some great players, they do, but someone's generating, again, that type of scheme, that type of energy. Comes from Harbaugh, comes from Brown. No, that's a very – I'm, I'm more impressed in that win – I mean, then I got, you know, Missouri putting 38 at the Swamp. Ooh. I mean, you got to some SEC scores. That was a big one to me. And then the Auburn game coming back. When Auburn came back and mm -hmm. beat A&M, uh, great game. And and I got to throw a Popsicle. I'm going to go – I'm going to give Scott Frost, a little Frosty, you know, a little Popsicle, give him a cookie. They played well. <laughs> they did. Yeah. They played well at Ohio State in the Big Horseshoe. And it was a very competitive game. Matter of fact, was it, it was 21-14 or something at, at half. half. They were up at half. So they were. I'm glad Scott Frost has kind of turned that program around. Yep. Uh, other scores, Lake Ridge High School's own Eric Dungey ran for 116 Stud. yards and a touchdown. And Syracuse, who's in the top 25, 19th ranked, they avoided a letdown possibility on the road at Wake Forest. That could have been a trap. And uh, Dino Baber's squad, led by Eric Dungey, took care of business. Shout out Marcus McMarion and Jeff Tedford. Fresno State yes. in the top 25, 23rd ranked overall. What a battle in Lubbock later on. 7th ranked Oklahoma taking on Texas Tech. The last time that happened, it was Patrick Mahomes against Baker Mayfield, and there was 850 total <laughs> yards of offense. And uh, who knows what those two guys are going to do. 
I want your thoughts on UCF. 12th ranked in the country. They won Thursday 52-40 to over Temple. They are 8-0, and Neil. And I tell you what, I just wish I could see them against better competition. Well, the, the Power 5 schools won't play UCF. We, we talked about during the break and last few weeks, we talked about those schools, the Boise States of the world. You know, the, the Oregons who used to play them won't want to play them anymore. You're just not going to schedule a UCF because if you lose to them, you know, you got, and plus you're playing everybody else in your own conference. The SEC schools, the ACC schools are not scheduling UCF. And they're just unfortunate the way the playoff system is, those schools will never be in that top four. They'll never get in the playoff schedule because of, quote, strength of schedule. All right, let's go to this Oregon UCLA matchup, and we'll start with Oregon. Offensively, since Panay Sewell went out, the offensive line has not blocked to the same level that they had when their six foot seven, yeah. three hundred and fifty pound true freshman left tackle was in the game. You got Throck Morton kicking from right tackle to left tackle. You've got Brady Aiello sliding in at right tackle, and Jacob Capra is featured on that right side as well. Dallas Warmack has gone down multiple times mm-hmm. in every game with some type of injury. Jake Hansen keeps on having at least one bad snap a game. You know, this unit has to step up, and they need to block somebody. We got another UCLA defensive line that struggles against the run. What does Oregon have to do, especially up front, to find their identity as a ground team again? Yeah, we'll get back to that. Get back to the identity of being that physical team they were the first six, seven weeks of the season and play well as a unit. When you lose one of your guys, Panay Sewell, that le- that's the blind side. That's that blind side. That's that left side. It's very important. You just can't move. Even though Throckmorton's a great veteran, he's been there three or four years, it's, it's difficult. And Hanson's been consistent. No, I know he's got to go bad stats, but at least he's been the center the whole time. So that unit's got to do well. Just be competitive. I, I, I think Oregon, Oregon's going to play a lot better than they have the last two weeks. They're back at home, and you got a mediocre UCLA team. I mean, the stats prove that. Offensively, they're anemic. They are. You've had a hot Arizona team, and then Washington State, no one's stopping them. So you got a very mediocre UCLA team offensively coming in. I, I see Oregon winning this and win, winning going away. Defensively for the Ducks, is it going to be Wilton Spate that you have to game plan for or Dorian Thompson-Robinson? Those are two very different quarterbacks. Well, they are, but I, I think you go DTR. you got to go for the, the, the combo guy, the triple, triple threat, the run, the throw, the read guy. That's how I look. So that's what you go against. You get Spate, Speed in there, and he's just going to stand up there and be your pro quarterback. And I, I, you got to stop Kelly. Kelly, the running back, is important. You make sure you stop him, and you're going to do very well. Uh, defensively, they got some good players. I mean, Ardarius Pickett, he's got 84 tackles. The guy that really, Lucifer South, has 10 tackles for loss and four sacks. So keep your eye on number 11, Keyshawn Lucifer, Lucifer South. I'm going to keep my eye on him. I think he's a playmaker. I've watched him on film and on TV. You see that guy running around. Number 11, linebacker, is a pretty good player. Don Pelham comes back to coach on the Austin sidelines. Linebackers. Linebackers coach for UCLA. Of course, Jerry Azanero, defensive coordinator. You know what's so ironic about, uh, you know, I was looking up on Chip Kelly. He was a defensive coordinator at one point in his career. One year, Chip Kelly, 1993, was a defensive coordinator at Johns Hopkins University. Just gonna throw that. Throw in. that. Well, and I told that, you that. I love that. That's the most knowledge I gained as an <laughs> offensive player is sitting in the meetings with a defensive coordinator. That's where you learn your offense from. Is listen to those guys. So I bet that year of being on the defensive side of the ball helped them immensely on the offensive side. Okay, rapid fire the rest of this way. Stanford, Washington, six o'clock, Pac-12 Network. Who do you like? Huskies at home, right? I think so, yeah. Huskies at home. Ten points. Washington's getting. I know. I always. You're still a Vegas guy, guy, but you're giving me the fourteen. You're giving me the points for uh, LSU, Whoa. though. 
LSU and Alabama. Say, I'm picking LSU. You were going straight up, I thought. No, but you said 14. Well, I said that was what the spread was. I didn't. And I'll take it. Thank you. So, what else do you want to know? You know what? That's fine. I do owe you some money. Anyway, Cougars, Cougars so. in a win. Cougars in a win tonight in the late, late oh, night one. Oh, yeah. Oh, All yeah. Right. Come on. At home. Oregon State, USC. Well, USC's going to win. Okay. I don't think. 17 points? That's a lot. Woo! We'll do another beverage. <laughs> All right, finally, UCLA and Oregon kicking off here in moments on Fox. Neil Lomax, your prediction for this game? Like I said, Oregon's going to win going away. I don't know if that's 17 plus. Uh, I, I, I'm going to go 40 to 20. Okay. So 20 points. We had Jordan Ken's prediction earlier. 31 17. Well, he right? says that every week. Every single week. Yeah. Just I'll take uh, I'll take the Ducks 30 to 20. I think it's going to be a, a slug it out tap game on Fox. All right. He's the College Football Hall of Famer, Neil Omax. I'm not the College Football Hall of Famer. I'm just Judah Newby. Shout out Matthew Zimmer spinning it behind the glass. As always, preach. And we'll come back for the post game show two hours right after final whistle. 503 417 7575 to sound off. We'll have all the post game audio as well and all the fiery takes. Right here on 1029 750 The Game.